0: Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Without question, there has been a lot going on in the life of the church recently. You just heard the testimonies of several students Uh, who were down at the Nazarene Youth Conference just a month ago in Tampa, Florida. Last week, if you were with us, we had an incredibly encouraging time uh, where four individuals from this church stepped forth in faith to receive the means of grace that our Lord has provided in baptism and to publicly declare his work in their life. And then just earlier this past week as well, uh, we had a group serving down in Kentucky with our Appalachian Reach Out. And before each of these teams, each of these individuals, went forth. Our church, and we thank you, our church prayed for them. And I would ask you, would you continue to pray for them? Uh, And would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads as we go before the Lord? Father, we come to you today, and we pray that you would continue the work that you've started in the lives of so many. Uh, By the power of your Spirit, Lord, we ask that you would communicate to us through your word this morning. Open our eyes to see your truth, And remove any distractions in this time that might take us away and take our sight off of you. God, in this time, we just want to be in your presence. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen and amen. As Justin said, my name is Bailey Sonnenberg, and this summer I have had the true privilege of interning here at the church. And this morning, I've been given the green light to keep on preaching up here until the sign-up sheets for this fair stand get, get filled. Uh, so, I think it would be in all of our best interest to get on top of that. But, in all seriousness, if you're new with us this morning, uh, thank you. Thank you for choosing to worship with us. We don't believe that you've been brought here today by accident. Um, and if you brought your Bible, and we would encourage you to bring your Bible, please open with me to Colossians chapter 3. Our text this morning is Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. You can also follow along in the YouVersion app. <clears throat> but before we get into the verse-by-verse exposition, I wanted to briefly revisit the baptism service last Sunday. Um, this was an inc- like I said, this was an incredibly encouraging time if you were with us. I was encouraged to tangibly see uh, the hand of the Lord at work in the lives of uh, people in this church. So I was encouraged, but I was also reminded of my own baptism right here in this church 11 years ago yesterday. And that was a special day, and I bring it up this morning only because the great challenge was and is the challenge to continue. The challenge to continue. Because what happens is, as as a young boy, I received that truth, the truth that Paul tells us about in Colossians 2, that I had been buried with Christ in baptism I had been buried with Christ and raised with him in new life. I received that and I knew that. But what happens is, is when you step up out of the water, you're stepping into a world filled with noise and distractions that will challenge you to take your focus off of the choice that you made. On one hand, you have voices saying, all right, you're a Christian, you've been baptized. Now here are all the things that you need to stay away from. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And then on the other side, you have voices, equally loud, crying out from the world, saying, you're baptized, you're good to go, go out and make a name for yourself. Follow the desires of your heart and do whatever makes you happy. You just need to go out there and earn it, no matter the cost. And so I can remember, I can remember very clearly being a young boy and stepping into that world and thinking to myself, I wish that someone would just tell me what I'm supposed to do, Right? Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. These are the great questions, are they not? Who am I and what am I supposed to be doing? More specifically and more importantly, who are we as the church and what are we supposed to be doing as God's people? How do we live as the chosen people of God? In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul is writing to a young church and he too It's praying that they would continue in their faith amidst the opposition and the distractions around them. And Paul reminds them of their identity and how that informs their behavior and how they're to live. So I'm convinced that three main points elevate themselves out of this text this morning. And that is that as the people of God, we choose to forgive, we choose to love, and we choose to give thanks. All as an expression of thanks to God in all things through the name of Jesus Christ. So starting off with verse 12, the words of Paul, "Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you." Full stop after verse 13. If you notice here, the call to action. And the instruction doesn't come until after a transition word and a title. So before these people, who are probably eager for instructions of what to do now that they've been given this new life, before they're given it, Paul reminds them of who they are. It says, As God's chosen people, those who are holy and dearly loved, act in this way. So what we can see is that the action is to be carried out in accordance with the label that is given, the label of God's chosen people in verse 12. Now, we, we skip right over this, but if you were the original audience, you might get a little hung up on this already, because you'd be thinking, now, the chosen people of God, that's the Jews, right? That's their title. But if you notice, look back to verse 11. Paul's writing to an audience of more than just Jews here, Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ, Each of them are called the chosen people of God by Paul. So the point is that no longer are these people known by all the different categories that they were formerly divided into, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythians, slaves and free men. Why? Look again to verse 11. Because Christ is all and is in all. So it doesn't matter what family the people were born into. It's about being born again by faith into the family of God. It's not about earning a certain status by merit, it's about receiving Jesus Christ by grace. So I'm convinced that that's why Paul starts with this title. Paul is saying that if you are one of God's people, if you belong to Jesus and if you've received him as Lord, that's the language we see in chapter 2, this is how you respond in action. But before the believers receive any instructions about what to do, Paul reminds them of who they are and whose they are. They are chosen by God. Now their responsibility is to choose their behavior. So with that in mind, we read on with the original question in mind. What are the people of God supposed to do? Back to verse 12. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So from this, by inference, we can see yet another description of God's chosen people. A description that helps us understand, I think, what Paul is getting at here. He says that God's chosen people are forgiven. If You go back earlier in the letter, Paul reminded the people who they once were. In verse 21 of chapter 1, Paul reminds the church that they themselves were once alienated from God, that because of their sin and evil behavior, they were enemies of God in their mind. And this is not to beat them down with shame and guilt over their past, but to produce in them a sense of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience for the people around them. That's verse 12. So don't get discouraged here, because if you're like me, you see a list of virtues like this, and I feel tempted to look at myself if I want to be a among God's chosen people, and God's chosen people are described like this, I sort of get out my checklist, and I think, am I humble? Am I patient? But that's not the point. The good news is that introspection, looking into yourself, isn't the solution here, because your assurance isn't found in yourself. If you look at this list, and you look for assurance, you won't find what you're looking for, but if you look to Jesus... If you look to Jesus, you can rest assured that he is compassionate, he is kind, he is all of these things. So when your eyes are where they should be, the focus is taken off of yourself and your inconsistency and onto the unchanging character of Jesus Christ. And as you follow him, you will be sanctified and grow more and more and more into conformity with his character. So moving on to verse 13. As you're looking to Jesus, then you can see that Paul's actually being realistic when he calls the church to bear with one another. Again, we know from verse 11 that this is a diverse audience. The people of the Colossian church came from all different kinds of backgrounds, and so at times it probably was a struggle to even bear with one another. Before, they each sought to serve their own self-interests, But now, since they have been reconciled to God and forgiven, they no longer need to seek out their own self-preservation and self-exaltation. They are freed from, verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, and all of these things that well up to idolatry and end in destruction. They are freed from living for themselves at the expense of their neighbor, and they are freed for living for others and the benefit of the church. Thus Paul says, On the basis of faith and on the basis of who you are and whose you are, verse 13, forgive as you have been forgiven. So why bear with and forgive one another? Because it's no longer about you. Like Justin said last week, in the context of the church, that person, that person who you just can't stand and that it takes everything in you just to tolerate, you need to recognize that if they have received the Lord Jesus Christ by faith as you have, then they too have been forgiven by God and covered by the blood of the Lamb. And if they have been forgiven by God, then who are you, who are we to determine whether or not they're worthy of our forgiveness? The people of God are forgiven. That's who they are. And so they forgive. And I recognize that this is easier said than done. But parents, please model this for your kids and make this a habit. This is my challenge. Verbally confess your own sin, ask for forgiveness often, and be willing to forgive. I'll say just briefly here again that I praise God that I grew up with a family and a church who modeled this for me and who displayed God's grace in their own lives. They did this by forgiving me and loving me even when I questioned who I was and what I was supposed to do. But when I heard people proclaim the name of Jesus... I knew that their claims were legitimate by the way that compassion, kindness, humility, all of these things naturally flowed out of their lives. But they didn't pretend to be perfect either. They didn't pretend to be perfect and hide their mistakes, but they boasted in the perfection of Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. So I would ask you to consider this morning, who is it that you can choose to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you this week? Live as God's chosen people by forgiving as you have been forgiven. Continuing on then into verse 14, Paul says, And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Because the truth is that no one is more willing to forgive and eager to love than a person who realizes and recognizes how much they themselves have been forgiven. I'm convinced that that's why Paul leads off in verse 12 by addressing the Colossian church as those who are dearly loved by God before he instructs them to put on love in verse 14. Put on love. Those who are loved by God actively choose to love others. They choose to share the love that they themselves have received. It is the natural response. This isn't just an abstract or subjective idea of love that means different things to different people at different times. This is a reality that is proven and demonstrated by God's love for us. If we go back to chapter 1 again, verses 3 through 4, Paul explains that the love that is shared among God's people comes from the demonstration of his love in the true message of the gospel. In Romans 5, 8, Paul says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news of the gospel, being fully known and fully loved by God, which produces love in the life of the Christian. This is a love that binds all things together in perfect unity. It pervades its way into every area of the life of the believer because without the motivation of love in all things, we cannot truly be compassionate, kind, humble, or any of these other things, because then we would be doing the actions selfishly. And if we do not forgive with the motivation of love, we would not be forgiving as the Lord forgave us. We are not forgiven by God with superficial tolerance, but rather we are comprehensively fully freed and forgiven because of love. Because of the love that, Father, that Paul says in chapter 2, verse 14, the love of the Father that took away our sin and nailed it to the cross, that the transgressions of the people of God are removed as far as the east is from the west because of the love of God, which results in the motivation of love for God's people as the spirit of the living, risen Christ dwells within them. So once this is made clear, I think our original question, my original question, needs to be clarified a little bit because the question shifts From that of an obligation or a duty of, all right, it's time to clench my fists together and work really, really hard to even the score with God who has forgiven me. It moves from that of a legal transaction of love. But the gospel of grace dismantles this mindset and turns it into a natural expression that comes out of the overflow of what we ourselves have received from God. So the connotation of our question must change from that of the slave that is apart from Christ in verse 11 who says, what am I required to do now to, as sons and daughters of the good father, how can I share this great gift with his people? No matter their past or what they can do to repay me, because that is the same forgiveness that I have been shown myself. So what are those who have received the love of God supposed to do? Live with the motivation of love. I'll never forget the impact that one man who was motivated by love had on me in my first two years off at college. This was an older gentleman named Tim. He had glasses, white hair, and suspenders. You get the picture. Uh, And in, in this time when so many things in my own life were uncertain and changing, and my schedule was busy, school was challenging, and I was just feeling worn out in every area, I'll never forget the first Sunday that Tim pulled me aside, He said, I see you. I see you right where you're at right now. He said, Bailey, why don't you come over for dinner tonight? I know you're busy, but my wife and I, we would want nothing more than to have you and your friends over for dinner and to share about the goodness of God through 50 years of marriage. (laughs) And so I went, I went with my friends, and we kept going back. And I'll be honest, the food didn't always taste all that good, who makes chili without meat, right? Like, I, I know I don't look like it, but I grew up on a beef farm. That, we, had, we had beef eight days a week. But I'll tell you one thing. There was no question that the meals were made with love. There was no question, no doubt in my mind that they were made and given out of the overflow that this couple had received from God. Tim was motivated by love, and I'll never, I will never forget that. Be a person who is determined, determined to share the same love. So, live as God's chosen people. By forgiving as you've been forgiven, with love as your motivation. And now we, we move on to verses 15 through 17. Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The connection and the movement between verse 14 to verse 15 is that love, in verse 14, love is what unites the church together into one body where the peace of Christ rules and reigns among it. In verse 15, the Colossian church received new life as a gift from God. They didn't earn it. So Paul tells them to be thankful. Thankfulness, like love, is brought about by the message of Christ. That's verse 16. The message of Christ being the gospel. So where the message of Christ is understood and the grace of God dwells, the result is a people whose disposition is thankfulness and gratitude, so much so that they cannot help but worship. To worship with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit as an expression of gratitude. But the beautiful thing is that our worship is not limited to the four songs that we sing on Sunday morning. It's not limited to psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. The Spirit of God is what enables us to express our thanks In all things, in whatever we do, verse 17, worshiping God is not separate from loving your spouse or taking the time out of your day to make a meal with your kids or working hard from nine to five or doing even the most mundane or monotonous tasks throughout the day. If these things are done to the best of your ability, all these things can be expressions of worship and thanks to God. So when the heart and the motivation behind the words within our psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit are brought into alignment with the actions and deeds in our life, you no longer need to be consumed by trying to figure out what in the world you're supposed to be doing, because no matter what you find yourself doing specifically, you can worship by doing all things with the intent of giving thanks to God through them. Some of the most impactful conversations that have influenced my own walk with the Lord have been with people like Tim who have taken the time to share their stories with me, their testimonies, testimonies like you've heard these last two weeks in particular. And that's been one of the best parts of the internship this summer, honestly, was getting to sit down with several of you, hearing your stories of the Lord's goodness, or maybe how you've been brought to this church. So no matter how old you are, This is a very practical application. You never graduate from sharing the testimony that God has given you. You don't need to go to seminary to share your testimony. I've met some people with PhDs in theology who I'm not convinced by the way that they live their life that they have any love for God. So the playing field is level. This is not a private thing. If the love of God has truly taken hold of you and had its transforming effect upon your heart, then you cannot stay silent and you cannot remain indifferent and apathetic about it. So I challenge you, especially especially if you are older, pull someone aside like, like the man did for me. Grab hold of someone while they're walking out this morning and ask them, do you have five minutes? Say, I, I know you're probably in a hurry, but I see, I see you right where you're at. And I know you've got a thousand things to do, and I was there once too, and I can't pretend to know everything you're going through in the day to day. But can I just encourage you and reassure you that the Lord is good. I need to tell you about what he's teaching me through his word. Man, maybe it's as simple as I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. But God, there's one thing I know. God is good. When? And all the time. Live as God's chosen people by giving thanks. Live as God's chosen people by forgiving as you've been forgiven. With love as your motivation because that enables and frees you to do all things as an expression of thanks to God for his gracious gift. Going back to chapter 2, verse 6. Since then you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Go forth now and do everything in his name. This is lordship and this is is the bracketed ending to the text that opened up back in chapter 2. Most fields of study agree that a direct line can be drawn between who we are and what we do. And I would make the claim that when the world sees this, when they see a church, a people that are unified under the name of Jesus Christ, they will be the ones asking like the early church in Acts 2 was asked, who are these people and why are they so willing and eager to forgive and to love and to give thanks? And they will know that it is all worship, not just lofty, abstract ideals, no longer an attempt to gain for the self, but to glorify and to exalt. Almighty God, we live in a way that shifts the focus away from ourselves And on to our Lord, declaring that he is the one true, gracious, and merciful God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So instead of worrying and consuming yourself with the question of what am I required to do, ask yourself the question instead, what am I already doing that I can do as an expression of worship? Again, live as God's chosen people by forgiving as you've been forgiven. With love is your motivation because that frees you to do all things as an expression of worship. So would you please stand this morning and receive this word as the very word of God. I can't make this any clearer by my own cleverness or my own study. This word preaches itself. So please receive this this morning as you go. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do all things in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So go forth this morning and live on mission as the people of God and have a great week. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.